Hey everyone, this is James Wilson with MTB Strength Training Systems and BikeJames.com and welcome to another Bike James podcast. Got a bunch of great topics lined up for us to talk about today. Got a rider Q&A about how does deadlift strength affect your uh, climbing. Uh, some bro science about some studies that I came across telling us the characteristics of a good mountain biker. Uh, and uh, some good training stuff about why CrossFit or mixed cardio, which is another uh, name that for this type of cardio, is not really as good for you as just good old-fashioned regular cardio for mountain bike-specific training. I'm uh, going to talk about some skill stuff. I had a workshop over the last weekend and went over cockpit control. So just had some overview and insights from that that I was going to share with you. And then actually a uh, piece of equipment um, that I wanted to share with you, the neat ice bag. And uh, I was able to uh, use it uh, over last week on a trip and really liked uh, what it does. And so I wanted to share it with you guys and uh, let you know where you can find out more about that as well. So before I do, had a little bit of news for you guys. One, I have some dates picked for the return of the Primal Skills Clinic. So September 20th, through 22nd. So if you want to come and hang out with me for three days and really dig deep into what I do, I mean, we're going to get into uh, training and skill stuff. We're going to talk about nutrition. We're going to talk about breathing, mindset, uh, you know, a lot of the, the um, training tools and training methods that I use here that you really won't find anywhere else. And um, so, yeah, it'll be a really fun time and a great time to uh, come and, and improve your riding and enjoy the trails that we have here in the Fruita area. And so I'm going to be limiting it to five people. And so I will be uh, dropping more info soon here uh, about, about it and, and how you can sign up. So keep an eye out for that. I've also got another free workout thing that I'm throwing into the mix. And so I'm doing, uh, I call them mace runs. And really, it's hard to call them a workout because they're so much freaking fun. But it's, uh, if you're in the Fruita area, again, if you're just visiting, um, feel free to come join us. If you live around here, let me know uh, and, and I'll give you the info. But we meet at Snook's Bottom. Right now, we're doing it on Tuesdays at 7.30. I'm hoping to add a Saturday in here soon. But Tuesdays at 7.30, we meet up and uh, we've each got a mace. And we call it a run, but we don't really run a whole lot. We, we kind of jog and we're walking and we're swinging our maces and doing different stuff with that. And along the way, we're just playing. We're looking for just fun fitness challenges. We're throwing rocks. We're balancing on logs. We're jumping up on stuff. We're climbing on things. We're sprinting up hills. We're lifting stones. We're, you know, we finish off jumping in the water and, and uh, going for a swim. So it is really uh, fun, but it is you know, functional training, like that's kind of the funny thing. Like, you know, we all like to think that because we do some, some, uh, some swings and some Turkish getups that we're doing functional training, but honestly, anything you're doing in the gym for the most part is made up gym bullshit. I, you know, I love it and I do it and it has its place, but it's not really functional training. Functional training is running, jumping, climbing, throwing, swimming. Like, you know, that is function. That is what your body is designed to do. And so, you know, trying to mimic things like that in the gym is great, but you know what's even better than that? Getting out and doing it. And it's fun too because it's, uh, you know, it's free. I mean, we bring our mace, 
because the maze makes it a little more exciting and, and adds some variety between stations. But honestly, you can do this type of workout anywhere, just getting out and, and running around, just looking for fun stuff to do and play. It's just like being a kid again. And uh, again, it's, it's a, a lot of fun. I, I went on one this morning, so I'm um, just thinking about it is uh, getting me all excited for the next one next week. But again, Tuesdays at 7.30. If you're in the Fruita area, let me know. And uh, either visiting or whatever. And, and love to have you come out and join me. Or if you're curious and want to know more about it and, and just kind of curious about maybe doing something like that yourself in your own area, hit me up, man. I'd love to you know um, give you some ideas and just let you know what I've been doing. But uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a really great way for us to work on our true functional fitness which uh, helps round out our mountain bike specific fitness, um, which is a lot of the stuff that we talk about here. So, and then uh, finally, I wanted to let everybody know that another uh, free workshop that I will be having here at the Catalyst Training Center is going to be on July 27th, so in a, in a few weeks here. Um, and I'm going to be going over cornering control, basically how to lean your body and your bike for maximum speed and balance. And so cornering is one of these skills that uh, is really misunderstood because if you um, come at it from the wrong perspective as far as trying to teach someone how to corner like you would on a motorcycle, which is a bigger, stronger, heavier thing versus cornering, say, on like something like skis or a, uh, a snowboard or skateboard um, where you are the bigger, heavier, stronger thing. And, and so it's, there's definitely a big difference there. And so uh, a lot of the advice that I see um, being given to riders about leaning your bike and not your body and things like that is really uh, a misunderstanding of how to actually apply good cornering principles to the specific methods of cornering your bike. And so um, knowing how to lean your body and your bike in a balanced way is what you want. And so that's what I'm going to be going over um, on the, uh, the 27th. And again, that'll be some of the stuff that we'll be going over at the Primal Skills Clinic as well. So if you're interested in uh, um, checking either one of those out, let me know. So with all of that said, time to dive into some of the topics that I have in store for you guys. And the first one is a rider Q&A. And this was a long uh, question and, and there were a couple factors going on here. But at the heart of it, uh, this rider had contacted me because, um, you know, I am a uh, proponent for getting stronger to improve your performance on your mountain bike. And one of the markers that I have talked about in the past is deadlift strength and your ability to do a one and a half to two times body weight deadlift. And that is usually indicative of you having enough strength and power to perform optimally on your bike. Like your deadlift strength, strength with that, the hip hinge movement pattern is probably not the weak link if you're uh, looking for where to improve your performance, if, if you're at that number. And so based on that, you can start to see how someone would think that, well, if my deadlift is uh, higher than someone else's, both the raw number and the strength to weight ratio, you know, if that's higher than theirs, then I should be performing better than them. I should be able to climb faster than them. And in particular, this question, uh, you know, came from a gentleman who was asking about a female riding partner of his and that he could, uh, he was 180 pounds and he could deadlift 400 pounds, which 
Uh, and she was, again, I, I forget the exact numbers on her. I should have written them down. But it, it was uh, significantly lower. I mean, she was like a 120, 130-pound rider and um, you know had like a one-and-a-half times body weight deadlift. And so, the again, the raw numbers and the strength-to-weight ratio, there was a big difference between the two. And so if you know deadlift strength helps improve your performance, then why is his performance not better than hers when his deadlift strength is better? And so, uh, you know, the, the, it's a good question. There's a lot of things going on here. And one, I just in my last podcast talked about the difference between speed and power. And this is a perfect example of this about how we confuse raw numbers that we use as a marker for actual performance. So again, saying that top riders have a you know higher uh, deadlift to, to body weight ratio than your average rider doesn't necessarily mean that if you just focus on your deadlift and you get your deadlift up to a certain number that it's going to improve your riding. There's a lot of things that go into that. And so the again, this is a perfect example of confusing the 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 um I guess kind of the benchmark for the actual goal. And the goal is to get faster on your bike. And there's these benchmarks that we're able to look at to kind of give us an idea of like, well, where might your weak link be that we need to work on? But um, that that one-to-one ratio is really hard to come by uh, like that. Now, again, if you see there, you know, this is the other thing, there's a point of diminishing returns with this as well. So if you take someone who doesn't have very good strength, right, like they can't even deadlift half their body weight and you build them up to where they can deadlift one and a half times their body weight, I guarantee you, you're going to see some really good improvements in their performance on the trail. And again, this is not if you just, I am also assuming that they're continuing to ride, that they're continuing to work on becoming a better rider along with this. Again, this is all, that's always the caveat. I'm, I never assume that someone is just focus solely on improving deadlift strength at the expense of everything else because that will not improve your riding um you know the the same way that continuing to ride while you're doing that will now once you come back you know if you focus on improving your strength over like the winter when you can't ride and then you come back to riding you're going to find that that improvement is going to come much more rapidly and so again there's there's a time and a place for something like that but i'm just saying in this in this case here, if you take someone who's not very strong and you get them up to a, a, like a one and a half times body weight deadlift while they're continuing to ride and work on other things, you will see massive improvements in their overall riding. Now you take that same rider and you bump their deadlift strength up from one and a half to two times body weight, right? then you know if they're a 100 pound rider you know, and you get them from a 50 pound deadlift to a 150 pound deadlift, you're going to see good improvements. You know, you take that 100-pound rider and, and bump them up to a 200-pound deadlift, you know, you might see some improvements, but they're not going to be as dramatic as when you made those initial strength gains. And really going over a double body weight deadlift. And so, for example, in this, you know, or in this example here, uh, the rider that we're talking about is 180 pounds. So a 360-pound deadlift, like, man, once you get to that point, that's really getting to that point of diminishing returns that I was talking about because any energy, like you have to put out so much energy and so much focus to continue to take your deadlift from like in in this case, 360 pounds to 400 pounds. That is a lot of 
time, energy, and effort that, that you and your body are putting into that. And so that's time that you're not putting into uh, getting better on the bike, riding your bike, working on skills. And so that point of diminishing returns hits where, you know, again, I'm assuming that you're not a professional rider and that you have other obligations. And even then, you know, you have energy management concerns. There's only so much that you can do. But, you know, getting stronger is not going to necessarily improve your performance. And so in this case, I my opinion is that um, the, that point of diminishing returns has been hit and that actually working on spending energy and time working on trying to maintain that 400 pound deadlift is actually detrimental to your riding that you would probably be faster if you were a little quote-unquote weaker that your gym strength is not as important as your bike specific strength and your bike specific strength only comes from riding your bike and doing your skill stuff so that is the 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 ultimate training modality that you can do and so again if you're you know doing a heavy deadlift workout and the next day you go for a ride and you can feel it that was too much like that's you know taking away from that because again you that's not your weak link again if we've determined that strength is your weak link strength in the deadlift is your weak link then you may have to deal with that for a short period of time while we we fill that gap and we work on that but you know, if that's once we get it to the point that one and a half times body weight deadlift, and we know that's not the weak link, then we need to be focusing on other things, not that. And so, um, so anyway, so that is the kind of at the at the crux of it is understanding that there's more to speed than just power, and that there is a definite point of diminishing returns when it comes to strength. Uh, as far as how it will affect your performance on the trail. And so just keeping that in mind um, will help you uh, know where to spend the energy and when to uh, spend it in other places. So uh, another thing I wanted to touch on real quickly is that besides your deadlift strength and stuff, like your climbing strategy matters as well. So if you aren't a strong standing peddler, you're never going to be a fast climber. You have to get strong with your standing pedaling in order to really be a fast climber and fast overall rider. And so again, like your deadlift strength may not have anything to do with it. She just may have a better climbing strategy than you were, where uh, she's standing up more and has better specific standing pedaling skills and specific standing pedaling efficiency and endurance. And so she is able to get into a stronger, more powerful position, which offsets some of your deadlift strength. So again, you know, deadlift strength doesn't really matter as much when you're sitting down because you're not getting full hip extension and, you know, you're sitting down. It's more like a leg press than a, than a deadlift. When you stand up, it becomes more like a, a deadlift um, type movement and, and you're able to get more, uh, you know, closer to full hip extension. And so, um, you're able to actually tap into that deadlift strength better with standing pedaling. So again, it's just one of those things. There's so many things. Mountain biking is such a fuzzy sport that it's really hard to say. Like we know that strength matters. I know that getting people strong up to a certain point helps their performance. Now, exactly what does it do and where's that point of diminishing returns and all these other things 
you know, I don't know, right? It's, it's, a, it's a fuzzy sport that way. This is not track and field where, you know, you're just running on a track and, and there's nothing else going on. There's no other factors. I mean, there's just so many other things that go on with mountain biking. So, um, so anyways, so that's the, the rider Q&A. And that actually leads us into the bro science uh, because you know, deadlift strength isn't what we want to focus on. Well, what do we, you know, what, what, what can we focus on? What are the things that go in to being a good mountain biker? And yes, they have studied these things. Anytime something becomes an Olympic sport, it's going to get uh, studied. And so, uh, cross country racing in particular, because it is an Olympic sport has seen quite a bit of research, uh, over the last few years. And it was also a, a, a interesting study done on downhill racing as well and so uh there was you know two studies on on cross country and then the um the one on downhill and together they, they formed a a, pic, a good picture in my opinion that's where the bro science comes in right like i'm giving you my interpretation of of what the science um is is saying and um but anyway so the 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 first thing the first study that i looked at um found that power to weight ratio was the the top thing that uh, that mattered when it came to mountain bike performance. Now, what made this study interesting uh, to me was that they were actually looking at and trying to compare the physiological characteristics of successful mountain bikers and professional road cyclists. And so, the um, again, that... The, the result was, and in the conclusion, was that high power-to-weight characteristics are important for success in mountain biking. That that power-to-weight ratio is more important for being a successful mountain biker than it is to being, a, uh, being good at uh, uh, being a professional road cyclist, being successful at road cycling. And so there's a lot of um, things that, that, are, that were shared, like a lot of their, their characteristics were similar, but that was the one thing that really stood out was the need for the high power to weight ratio, that mountain bikers on average um, weighed less and that they were leaner and that you know, relative to their body mass, they were producing higher power outputs. Um, at maximal exercise and at lactate threshold during the 30-minute time trial. And so, the, uh, um, again, that, that power-to-weight ratio and strength-to-weight ratio is part of that. Now, again, I was just talking about that, right? We were talking about strength-to-weight ratio, and one of the, one, one of the ways to, to look at that is your deadlift strength. And so that's where that one-and-a-half to two-times body weight deadlift comes into play. And that if you are a road cyclist that that may not be as important, that you may not need as much strength because you're not going to need to produce as much power, especially power to weight ratio. And so, um, you know, getting that strength because, you know, power is just strength applied quickly. So if you don't have adequate strength, you're not going to be able to apply anything quickly. And so um, that, you know, that's where the, the um, you know, the idea that power to weight ratio comes in is uh um so 
yeah, so anyways, sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought there as I was looking at the study. But again, the take home message is that power to weight ratio, that strength to weight ratio is very important. And so even though I just got done spending a lot of time talking about how you can go too far with that, in my opinion, you know, that rider was in the minority. Like most people do not have, most mountain bikers do not have a two times plus body weight deadlift. In fact, they're probably at a, you know, one times body weight deadlift or lower. And so um, one of the main reasons that, that, you know, improving your strength can help improve your performance is because of that need for that higher power to weight ratio uh, that you need for being successful at mountain biking. So another uh, thing that I found, the, uh, the other study that I looked at, and this is actually a study that I had written an article about. You can go to bikejames.com and I think the, the name of the article is The Science of Going Downhill Faster. And so uh, it, it was a, a good study and they were basically looking at, again, what are the characteristics that make up a successful downhill race or what, what predicts their performance you know, so what, what can you look at that will make, that is predictive of how well they're going to perform? Because again, you can say like, um, you know, we can look at deadlift strength, right? I can say that. I can say, you know, we can say VO2 max, but again, that's what these studies are for is to look at and say, okay, these riders, uh, you know, in these, in these areas, we, we studied, looked at it and, and now did this predict their performance. And so the, the main things that they were looking at, um, they were looking at grip strength endurance, they were looking at um, their uh, rider skill, and they were looking at their aerobic capacity, and what else were they looking at? There was another thing they were looking at, but the basic thing, like one, the aerobic capacity played no role whatsoever in predicting their performance, and so uh, you know that was not um, important. What was important is their grip strength endurance and their skill level. Those two things, and surprisingly, the grip strength endurance was the number one thing that indicated their performance. So again, this was done on downhillers, but you got to remember that anytime your bike is pointed downhill, the findings of this study are important to you because yeah, these guys are, are downhill racers, but what they're finding is that your ability to perform when the bike is pointed down and you're relying on uh, not pedaling uh, you know, momentum and gravity to help, you, you know, carry speed that your grip strength endurance becomes the top factor. And so again, if you're an enduro racer, you're getting time based on, on downhill, mostly downhill stages. So this is super important for you. And even regular trail riders and cross country riders, you know, this bears out so that, um, that grip strength endurance is uh, extremely important for you to work on. And one, this is one of the reasons that I love the steel mace and the heavy Indian clubs. Um, you know, as good as kettlebells can be for working on grip strength, the specific type of grip strength that you're working on with those tools and the things like the mace 360 and, and some of the Indian club work uh, lets you work on it more specifically and better in my opinion. So, uh, um, yeah, that's one of the main reasons that I love the steel mace is because it is the best tool that I have found for improving your grip strength endurance and your grip strength endurance is one of the top factors for how well you perform on your bike. And so, uh, um, like I said this study found the second thing was skill. And there was another study that I found that, uh, do, 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 what is it here? It was, um, I'm just clicking on the studies here. I was looking at them before. It is looking at the, uh, the 
the effect of different descending strategies for cross-country mountain biking. And what they found was, if you've ever been downhilling, what's, what's hilarious is the old joke is like, Ooh, you know, why are you out of breath? You're just riding downhill. And it's like, well, you've obviously never ridden downhill. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of work going on um, during that. And so, the, um, so anyways, what was interesting is that the, the findings of this study was that uh, in an effort to increase efficiency, it is recommended that mountain bike athletes focus on skills to increase descending speed without the addition of pedaling and that equipment be used to decrease vibration. Um, so, you know, obviously, you know, suspension and stuff like that. Because the vibrations, your, your body has to create tension to deal with those vibrations. Those vibrations create tension. And tension is metabolically... Um, costly you know your, your body has to expend energy to create and maintain tension so the more vibrations that you're having to deal with the more tension you're having to create to deal with it the more energy you're expending to do that and so being able to ride smoothly and decrease the vibrations is what they're saying and so this is where your your skills come in and your ability to ride fast based on uh, flow rather than pedaling and and this kind of touches on something some you know points I've made in the past about riders trying to out fitness bad skills right like they they're not very skillful but they just pedal their way through everything and then you see the rider who's able to stop pedaling and float through the same section and do it just as fast if not faster and that's not the same strategy right and, and it's not the same energy expenditure it's not the same efficiency and and uh, so what this study is you know saying is that the ability to have two different strategies for how you are going to go fast is important, and that not having the ability to use skill and flow uh, to float through things and minimize impacts and how much vibration you're having to absorb um, can you know hold back your performance. So the uh, so yeah, so I mean that's the um, you know the the main takeaway is the three things that these studies have found to really impact your performance are power to weight ratio, grip strength endurance, and skills. And yes, you know, aerobic capacity, anaerobic capacity, these things matter, but these other things matter just as much, if not more in some cases, because again, you have to look at what is your weak link? Right? If you're a typical rider who's never spent any time working on improving their strength to weight ratio, working on improving their grip strength endurance, or working on improving their skills, then these are the low-hanging fruit. You know, you've, you've, if you're doing cardio training and been doing it for a while and you've not done any work in these other areas, then, th then that's not your weak link. The, the easiest way to get faster is going to be to focus on these other things. And again, it's what I touched on last week. You may see some decrease in your numbers, your workout numbers in some of these other areas like your cardio numbers or your you know power numbers on, on the bike. But you're going to see an improvement in your performance. You're going to see an increase in your performance and speed on the trail because you're, you're addressing 
the collectively everything that goes into being a good rider instead of just focusing on one overemphasized aspect, which is pedaling endurance and usually seated pedaling endurance, not even really working on specific standing pedaling endurance, which, you know, I would endorse for some riders or a lot of riders because they need to work on that specific skill. But again, you're doing it because you're trying to improve a specific skill not necessarily to improve your quote-unquote cardio. And so, um, so yeah, that's uh, um, just some things to keep in mind next time you're sitting down thinking about, huh, what should I be working on to get better as a mountain biker? So this actually leads us into our training topic, which when I set this up, I didn't realize it was actually going to segue quite so, uh, quite so good. But, you know, I just got done talking about what is important uh, for you to be a good mountain biker. What are the the characteristics of a good mountain biker? And and so um, aerobic fitness, your cardio is something that a lot of these, you know, that that is important. Okay. But it can be overemphasized. It can be overhyped and it can be uh, um, done poorly. And so we want to make sure that when we are doing our cardio training, because again, it is important. Like I got to emphasize in a world where people are, are doing too much cardio, I almost have to come across as anti-cardio to get people to come to the center. So again, if you've ever bought any of my programs, you've ever seen my, my workout programs, you know, cardio is a big part of what we're doing. It's just that though. It's just a part and sometimes it's not the biggest part of what we're doing. And so, and, and cardio can, uh, you, know, uh, you know, be handled a bunch of different ways. And so that's where this idea of mixed cardio or really kind of like CrossFit style cardio is what it is, um, comes in. And so this type of cardio is uh, where you mix a bunch of modalities. This is why it's also called mixed cardio. So instead of doing one Thing like you know, getting on your bike and doing a bike a workout on the bike, or uh, running, or just doing one modality, you do several, and so you mix them up, and so you'll do you know go for a, you know for amount of time on the rower, and then you'll do some like lunges or you know jumping split squats or something like that, and then you'll do some med ball tosses, and then you know you might just do that and, and go through that a few times. Or there, you know, sometimes there's more. It's, it's really circuit training, is what it is. It's it's circuit training with no rest in between, so it, it turns it into uh, cardio training. And so um, again, some of these things can get a little crazy. You know, you'll see plyometrics and Olympic lifts and things that really don't need to be used as cardio training uh, methods being used that way. And so this is kind of one of the big problems that I see with the, the mixed cardio and again, CrossFit is, is the, you know, the, the thing that most people associate this type of um, cardio training or just training in general with and, and kind of help popularize it. And so that's why you're starting to see it make its way into um, mountain bike training is because of the popularity of CrossFit. And so again, the idea that if someone's is, you know, fit for CrossFit games, then man, they got to be stinking fit. But that being fit for CrossFit games is not the same thing as being fit for riding a bike. And so in the CrossFit games or stuff like that, a CrossFit workout, you have 
you know, surprise, surprise, it's mixed cardio. It's different modalities that you're doing. And so that's training for that. It's a specific sport. It's, well, mountain biking is its own specific sport, right? And so mountain biking has specific metabolic demands and specific pacing strategy demands. And, you, and, and within mountain biking, you have different disciplines. So you have something like downhill racing, which is three to five minutes, um, all the way up to, you know, you can in, include like our ultra marathoners and, and multi-day stage race guys. Um, but, you know, just in general, like just enduro racing. But a guy, a, a, a downhill racer who has one five-minute downhill run versus an enduro racer who is doing, you know, several stage ra- stages uh, over the course of two days and having to, um, you know, ride, you know, do the transfers. Like the, the, the metabolic demands for those two things are totally different. They're, they're completely different as far as your body and your brain is concerned. And so uh, not respecting that and, and, you know, treating all mountain biking like, hey, here's a mixed cardio workout that is good for all types of riding is really kind of an insult to, uh, to, to mountain bikers because we deserve better than that by this point. Like, you know, that is, um, you know, we, the, the, the ability to create programs that can develop specific um, pacing strategies and develop uh, specific metabolic pathways and, and strengthen them um, is, is what, you know, you want to be taking advantage of. And so the, uh, you know, the cardio fitness is the most specific type of fitness that you have. So something like flexibility is very general, right? Like a hamstring stretch that will help a mountain biker, will help a baseball player, will help a golfer, will help, you know, just general population. Like there's not a whole lot of specificity when it comes to flexibility training, you know, as you move up the ladder, you, you, things get more specific. And so by the time you get to things like power and cardio, they're very specific to the sport itself. So again, this is why like in, in you know, track and field, like this is you know, saying that a 100 meter runner and a 3200 meter runner or a 5K runner, you know, it's basically the same thing. You know, here's a, a, a mixed type workout that has no running and it's going to be great for you know all of this and it's like well that just that doesn't make sense like that's not you know that that doesn't make this just doesn't make sense really um so that type those type of workouts are great for general conditioning so like the off season you want to do some general conditioning type stuff great again like i i, I use and and uh you know program stuff like that in but they're not better than and they're definitely not going to replace a quote-unquote regular cardio training workout where you've got a bike uh, and you've got specific heart rates or power levels or, uh, you know, there are, you know, ways to specifically manipulate the body to get it to do very specific things. And so that's what you want to be trying to do with your cardio training. Now, the best cardio training that you can do is ride your bike. Right? So if you're riding your bike a lot, you don't need to be doing cardio training. And you definitely don't need to be turning strength training into cardio training. So again, in my, what, is, what is enough? Like I would say if you're riding your bike three days a week, you really probably don't need to be doing any cardio training whatsoever. Like if you're getting three good rides in each week, that's plenty of cardio training. And it's very specific cardio training because it's, it's as specific as you can get. It's riding your bike. So the movements, everything that you're doing is as, as specific as you can get. 
And so uh, the, the days that you're not riding, you need to be working on your flexibility, your strength, uh, things like that. And not trying to figure out how you turn that into more cardio training with the mixed cardio or CrossFit stuff. So, um, but again, if you're not, if it's the off season or you're not able to uh, get it out and ride two, three days a week, then you may need to do some extra cardio training. But again, depending upon what your goals are, if you have a specific goal, if you're an enduro racer, or you're a downhill racer, or you're a cross country racer, then your workouts need to be reflecting the specific metabolic demands and pacing strategies of your discipline and not just a bunch of stuff strung together because it looks cool on Instagram and it makes you sweaty. So, uh, so anyways, we can do better than that. We can do better than that. Let's not, let's not move backwards. Uh, mountain biking's come a long way. And so, you know, uh, let's not move backwards by, uh, you know, not, not embracing good science-based, uh, training modalities and methods. So, um, so anyways, let's, uh, yeah, so that's it with that. So moving on last topic, um, actually second to last, cause I got the equipment thing I'm going to talk about here in a second, but skills stuff. So cockpit control is what I went over in my workshop. And it was a really interesting um, workshop, getting a chance to, to work with some people on this because it just reinforces what I've seen a lot of over the years and what I've uh, you know worked with when I was more active in doing clinics and workshops with riders is that we get stuck. People's hips get stuck in one basic position on their bike. We think that the attack position, the, the, like the hip hinge position where you've got your butt back and your chest down is the position. Like that's where you ride your bike, that all riding takes place from that position. And that it's just a matter of learning how to, you know, rock your bike around you or manipulate, lean, whatever it is. But like you are basically in this one position and you're moving your bike underneath you. And it's just not an accurate view of, of what it takes to move in a strong, balanced way on your bike. And that cockpit control, it starts with being able to move your hips forward and backward through the cockpit. And, and it, basically that means move your, your hips forward and backwards in relation to your bike's center of gravity. So your bike has a center of gravity, a center of mass. And again, I know the bike nerds out there are going to be like, it's not exactly in the bottom bracket, James. And I understand that crap, okay? But it's roughly in that area. So for, you know, just just uh, explanatory purposes, we say the bottom bracket is your bike center of gravity. And your hips are, again, roughly your center of gravity. So... Once you start to look at everything on the bike is an interplay between your center of gravity and the bike center of gravity. And when those things are lined up and balanced, then you're lined up and balanced. Everything's good. When they're not lined up and balanced, things feel and get sketchy really quickly. So this means that you have to move your center of gravity, your, uh, your hips, around in relation to the bike center of gravity. You cannot stay static and just move the bike around you. If you are doing that, if, if you move the bike and then you try to move your hips, you're always playing catch up to the bike. You're unbalanced. You're balanced, you move the bike, now you're unbalanced and you're trying to catch up and get balanced. 
If you move yourself first, you move yourself purposefully into an unbalanced position and then pull the bike underneath you. Or, you know, if that's where you want to be to offset what you're, what you're looking for. But there is a difference between your, your bike moving first or moving around you and you moving first and, and you know, moving your, your center of gravity around and then moving your bike around that. And so that's really the goal. And so being able to get your hips in front of, forward of your bike center of gravity is something that, that most riders I work with don't have. That their hips are locked in this basic position behind or maybe over their bike center of gravity, but they don't ever really fully get their hips forward into the front of the cockpit in front of the bike center of gravity. And so uh, this really limits your, uh, your movement and your balance on the bike. And so, you know, uh, when your hips are in front of the bike's bottom bracket, there's a couple things going on here. One, now your momentum is leading the charge. Like you, you have your own weight and momentum and your bike has its own weight and momentum. And while they're connected, they're not the same, right? And so having your bike center of gravity in front of you means that your bike's weight and momentum is leading your weight and momentum. And so anything that happens to your bike's weight and momentum, it's more likely that it is going to feed directly back into your weight and momentum because it's in front, it's leading the charge, it's pulling you behind. Now, if your, body, if your weight is in front, then now you're leading the charge. Now your weight and momentum is in front of your bike's weight and momentum. And so if something happens to the bike, it's much less likely that it's gonna directly affect you because you're already through the bike. And we've all experienced this. Like if you've ever had coming out of a corner or something, ever had your rear wheel get loose, you know, it's like, okay, great. But like, I'm not really worried about that because my rear wheel got loose for a second and then just whoop, sucked up right behind me. But if you've ever had your front wheel get loose, that's a different story. That's super scary. So, you know, it, where your weight, like your, your, where your weight and momentum is in relation to your bike matters. And so uh, when you're, when you're, you know, you, you have to stand up to get your bike, your, your, uh, your center of gravity forward. So again, think of like your center of gravity being back behind your bike center of gravity, this attack position is your deep hip hinge, the bottom of your deadlift, and then pushing your hips forward towards the, the stem of the bike and, and getting tall over the bike, over your handlebars. And so think of it more of like the, the top of your deadlift or the top of a squat position where your, your shoulders are more stacked on top of your hips as opposed to having your hips and shoulders really separated with your hips back behind your shoulders. Now, you know, one of the problems is when you do this, you're gonna break one of the big taboos in mountain biking, which is you're gonna put some weight and pressure on your hands. And again, this, this you know, light hands, heavy feet thing is taken directly from uh, motocross, or not even motocross, riding street bikes, okay? It came from street bike uh, classes. And so ghost fingers, you know, heavy hands, light feet. It, it, was, it was a coaching cue used in that setting that really does not apply to the trail, that you have to have some sort of weight, you have to have some sort of pressure on your hands. You cannot steer your bike without weight and pressure on your hands. 
And so, uh, again, there's a difference between too much weight and too much pressure on your hands and, and uh, having enough. And so uh, it, it's the ability to know how to apply that properly. And again, it's, um, I've got an article on bikejames.com, you know, have we misapplied light hands, heavy feet to the bike that talks about this in more depth and also how you can use your palm pressure, like where the pressure should be along your palm and what that pressure tells you about your balance and your position on the bike. And so learning how to, uh, you know, key into that um, while you're on the bike will will really help so um now the you know the reason that most riders get stuck we love this attack position we love to have our rider our our, our hips and center of gravity behind the bike center of gravity is because it's a safe position and what that means is is if if something hits your bike and slows it down because remember i just talked about how you and your bike you have your own weight and momentum so you're cruising along and you feel like you're connected but then you hit something, a rock or a root or something that slows your bike down, right? So now your bike's weight and momentum is slowing down and yours isn't. Now, if you're neutral or you're in front of the bike center of gravity at this point, you are much more likely to go over the bars. Your weight's going to get pitched forward and you're going to go over the bars. Now, if your weight is behind the bike center of gravity and this happens then you're one, you're wedged back behind the bike a little bit. So it's harder to get pitched forward. And two, if you do get pitched forward, the, the, the weight shift is going to move you into a neutral or less extreme front end position. So your odds of getting pitched over the handlebars are much less. And so that's, you know, this position is good for, that's why you see downhillers use this position a lot. They are anticipating uh, a lot of impacts and things slowing their bike down and so they're trying to get themselves wedged behind their bike in anticipation of those impacts but this position is not good for just driving your bike from that a lot of the skills that you need like one being able to tap into standing pedaling i talked earlier actually about if you're not a strong standing pedaler then you're never going to be a fast rider and the only way to get better at standing pedaling is, I said, it's a skill. And this is part of the skill is learning how to shift your hips forward and get your weight forward of your bike's bottom bracket. Now, again, we're not always in danger of getting pitched forward, right? Like if you're riding and there's nothing in front of you, there's a smooth trail, there's no danger of getting pitched forward, then you don't need to ride with your hips in that position. You can get your weight in front. And again, I talked about it's, it's easier to stand up so that you can, it's your strongest pedaling position. You, it's easier to look up. Um, now your weight and momentum is leading the charge. There's a lot of good things happen when you get in this position. One thing, yeah, if you hit a rock, yeah, you're going to go over the handlebars. But guess what? You're looking up. You can see the rock coming. And so one of the things that this position, if I'm in front of my bike center of gravity, I can push my bike in front of me. This shifts me to the back of the bike. And that unweights the front end. So I don't have to just bash in everything on the trail. This is one of the reasons that you see so many riders who over rely on their suspension. They bash into everything on the trail because they don't, they don't know how to use their weight shifts front and back to unweight their bike. And they're just stuck with their hips in the back seat, in the, in the, in their back of their cockpit. And they, they, they can't unweight their front end effectively. So um, it, it's, uh, you know, having your, your front end light 
because you have your weight back is not the same thing as unweighting your front end because you have gone from a front to back uh, weight shift and, and that front to back shift unweighted the front end. And so again, you're, you're in a position, it's easy to see, so you can see trail obstacles coming. You're in a position where you can push the bike in front of you to unweight or bunny hop. You're in a position where you can drop down into your cornering technique. Because again, like that's, to do good cornering technique, you need to screw yourself down into the bike, which means that if you're down low, you're already screwed into the bike. You can't go anywhere. Just leaning the bike over from that position is not actually good cornering technique. Being able to go from a high to low position and use that corkscrewing movement to, uh, to drive pressure into the pedals and help set your edge uh, is, is um, one of the keys to powerful cornering. And so a lot of your skills rely on this subtle front to back weight shift. And so if you don't know how to get your hips in front and you don't know how to ride comfortably with that, your weight a little bit in front of your bike's um, bottom bracket, then you're going to struggle, like I said, in standing pedaling, executing skills, um, a lot of things on the bike. So learning how to use both of those positions to your advantage. As, I was talking with someone at the clinic that, you know, if, if running, if you've ever been running, running is basically a controlled fall right? Like you're, you're leaning forward and your feet are moving if, because if your feet weren't moving, you'd fall on your face. And we know this because if you've ever been running and tripped, you know, you fall over now because you're leaned over, you're in an unbalanced position, your weight and momentum is leaning forward. And so, uh, the, now if you've been trail running and you've tripped, right? And that sucks. If I lean back a little bit and I run on my heels, like I basically have like my, my weight behind my feet a little bit instead of being in front of my feet, right? I, I shift my weight back a little bit and I'm running behind my feet. I'm not going to trip, right? I can kick a rock and I'm not going to trip because my weight's not pitched forward. And, but I'm not going to be fast. It's not a way to perform. Now, what I want to do is I want to be looking up. I want to be leaning forward and running. And then when I come to a section where it looks like I might catch my feet, I shift my weight back and I get into a more balanced position. I, I, I accommodate my position, my weight in relation to my feet uh, in context to the trail conditions. And it's the same thing that you want to do. You want to pretend like your bottom bracket, because your feet are down there, it's, you know, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, where is your weight in relation to your feet, in, in relation to your bottom bracket, uh, the, or the bottom bracket of the bike? And, and so, you know, it's someone who, like what we've been told as riders is to basically run with our weight shifted back because we might trip on a rock. And it's like, man, come on. Like, that's a, this is, it's that safetyism culture. It's like, man, riders are, we're, we're anti-fragile, right? Like, yes, if, if we shift our weight forward and we learn how to use this position, might we potentially not see something that's going to like, you know, send us tumbling that otherwise we wouldn't have seen? Yes. Yeah. Okay. There's that possibility, right? But are we going to be as good a riders? No. Like, are we going to actually increase our potential injury risk from wrecks that come from being in bad positions and not being in balanced positions on the bike because we don't know how to shift our weight around and use it properly? Yes. All right. So there's trade-offs to both. So trying to, to overprotect yourself either consciously or subconsciously by always having your weight shifted back behind your bike's bottom bracket and then trying to maneuver your bike from that position there um, is, is, 
it's uh, it's going to hold you back. That's not um, what we, you know the best way to to use your uh, your hips and your weight and your center of gravity to help drive your bike. And so remember, you're not riding your bike. You're, you want to drive that thing. You, you know, you ride a motorcycle. It's the bigger, stronger thing. It's carrying you through the corner. It's carrying you over the terrain. You want to try to be the thing that's carrying your bike, right? Your, your bike's underneath you, and you're carrying it underneath you. Like you're in front of it, and it's following you through the terrain. And then obviously having to shift back is needed to, uh, you know, but... Uh, man, learn how to use both those positions is really the key. So I've got a lot of resources at bikejams.com. I've got you know seated versus standing pedaling. I've got attack versus thrown position because this ties into that as well. It's like knowing how to shift your hips around forward and back and use both of these positions to your advantage is the key to being a good, efficient rider. So um, yeah, staying static in one basic position is not the best way to control your cockpit and make full use of your bike. So uh, get your hips in front of your bike's uh, center of gravity, get it behind, forward, back, learn how to use that. Again, that's once you learn how to use that, manually and bunny hopping is going to be way easier. All, all bunny hopping is is you're in the front, you shift your weight back, and you shift your weight forward again. It's just it's just weight shifting. When like Once you start to see that, you'll start to realize everything you do on your bike is can be boiled down to your hips and the bike center of gravity and their relationship and how you need to shift your hips and move the bike in order to get uh, the outcome that you want. So uh, yeah, so anyway, so that's it. That, that's the, uh, some of the insights and that I had from the, the uh, cockpit control. And again, we'll be, this is something that at the September clinic, I'll be you know, diving into a lot and really helping people understand how to tap into what I think is one of your strongest positions on the bike, man. That standing pedaling position where you've got that weight uh, a little in front of your bike center of gravity. That, that once you really know how to tap into that position, that, um, that yeah, that's when the magic really starts to happen. So, anyways, uh, all right, I'm gonna finish off with a shout out to Neat Ice. It's uh, neatice.com, N-E-A-T-I-C-E.com, and it's a bag, and it's a, the Neat Ice bag is what it's called, and I picked one up at the Fruita uh, Fat Tire Festival. Uh, the guy was out here. I forget what equipment he was repping. It wasn't this, but he had this as well, and what it is, it's a bag that you put ice in, and then you put that bag into your cooler. Now, uh, a couple cool things about this, though. It sounds simple. You know, one, if you think about it, just dumping ice in your cooler, it's kind of a pain in the ass, right? Because by the time you get where you're going, everything's wet. You got to deal with soggy stuff, deal with the half-melted water. It's, uh, you know, things get, you know, soggy and gross. And so, you know, you deal with it. Um, first world problems, as they say, right? But uh, anyways, I saw this bag and and I was like, oh, that's great. I, lo- I love the idea. It's a, it's a thick uh, plastic um, lined bag. And it, uh, you, you put the ice in it and it seals up nice, very easy to use. And then you put your stuff in there. And now one, it's not melting and getting everything wet. Uh, it keeps the ice colder so it's not melting as fast. And the really cool thing is he's got this little nifty uh, hook. It's like, uh, like on your camelback, right, that, that, that you can remove the hose from. And so he's got that on this. And so you can attach a hose to the bottom of the bag and then get the water out. And man, it is really, the other, I, I took a trip 
um, uh, to Durango and we, we drove back through Moab and Moab's, you know, literally the freaking desert and we're out in the middle of the desert. I'm, we're, we're pulled over checking out, uh, um, one of the arches on the side of the road and we're all out of water and I'm like, man, this sucks. And then I realized I had the neat ice bag and I go back there and, you know, hook it up and pop that thing open. And I got two bottles of, uh, like cold, clean drinking water out of that thing. And then when I got home, I didn't have to clean up the mess and everything was cool. So I'm a big fan. I think that this neat ice bag is, uh, is, is really good. So check them out at neatice.com and, uh, yeah, grab one. I think you'll, I think you'll enjoy it as well. So anyway, so that's going to do it for this podcast. Covered a lot of ground, uh, a lot of good topics. Really enjoyed sharing some info with everybody. So remember, you can check me out at bikejames.com. We've got a lot of free stuff you can sign up for there, free workouts, um, free articles, free videos. I do have uh, programs there that you can get based on the training principles and things that I've uh, you know, used since 2005 to help riders ride faster, longer, and with more confidence on the trail. And if you're coming to Fruta, you can hit me up, uh, you know, james at bikejames.com if you want to get in on one of the free workouts or check in on one of the free uh, workshops I'm doing. Or you can go to catalysttrainingfruta.com to get more information on the Catalyst Training Center, my physical location here where we can get together and do some skills training and fitness training and, uh, yeah, just have some fun. So, anyways, so that's going to do it for this podcast and uh, hope you guys have a great July, and I will talk to everybody next time.